Welcome to another episode of Making It to the Mic. I'm your host, Stephanie Pam Roberts, and this week we're shifting gears a little bit to talk about the very important topic of vocal health. My guest today is Andrew Keltz, a speech-language pathologist specializing in voice and upper airway disorders. Andrew is a former musical theater performer, and a few years ago he decided to pivot and study speech-language pathology. He also happens to be one of my best friends, so I loved getting to chat with him about the work that he's so passionate about. Vocal health is not always at the forefront of our voiceover discussions, but it is essential to us being able to keep doing the work that we do. So let's listen in. Here's my conversation with Andrew Keltz. Hello, Andrew. How are you today? Hi, Stephanie. I'm doing really well. How about you? I'm good. So I would love to start by asking you to tell us a little bit about your journey. How did you make it to where you are as a speech-language pathologist behind the mic? I started out as a performer, a singer and an actor. I studied theater and musical theater in college, and I performed for about a decade in plays and musicals and concerts after graduating from college. And that was my entree into the world of professional voice. Once I had been doing that for about a decade, the truth is I really started to realize that I wasn't loving the hustle and the the audition process that much. And I realized that that is so much a part of the business. And if I wasn't really enjoying that part so much, that I maybe needed to think about what else was out there that I could enjoy. And I started doing a lot of soul searching to try to figure out what else out there felt like it was a continuation of the work that I had done. I didn't want to feel like I was starting from scratch. In that soul searching, so much came back to the fact that communication at the end of the day was what we as performers, and certainly how I thought of myself as an artist, was I was a communicator conveying stories and human truths to audiences. And for me, predominantly using my voice as that means of communication, And if I no longer was going to be primarily working as a singer and actor, was there a way that I could facilitate other people's ability to use their voices and help to sort of illuminate their ability to communicate? And I observed some people that were doing speech therapy, and I really just thought it was an amazing career and something that really connected the work I had done before to the work that that I'm doing now. And speech-language pathology has so many arenas that you can focus on. The the one that for me felt like a really natural fit was working with voice users and uh, focusing on voice disorders. So that's where I've landed now um, as a speech pathologist with a uh, special interest in voice disorders as well as upper airway disorders and swallowing disorders. That's amazing. So full disclosure, Andrew and I are besties, and I don't know that I've ever heard you articulate that kind of like impetus for the transition. And what a beautiful way to say that. And certainly I feel like we as voice actors are also communicators and even in a more specific, specialized way, because it's only our voices. We don't have the costumes and the set, the other visual elements of stage and, and screen. Totally. And you, and voice actors like you and many of your listeners you're extraordinary voice users. I mean, the the voice is such an incredible instrument and it can do so much. It's just amazing. I mean, the fact that we can just hear someone's voice and immediately know who it is, it's, it's just an incredible instrument. So for those of us who maybe are out of practice uh, in the 
you know, musical theater singing world or maybe have never been in that world, what are some of the kind of basic things that we should be doing daily to take care of our voices? And, you know, even if we don't have a really long session, even if we have no sessions scheduled for the day, are there things that we can do every day to maintain and take care of our voices? That's a great question, Steph. I think you bring up a great point is that our voices are like any other muscle in our body in that it's important that you use it to maintain the skills that you want to be able to do regularly. So even if you don't have a session on a given day or in a given week, it is important that you get in that booth or that you do whatever kind of practice routine that you've established just so that you can maintain what it is that you do well and and maintain uh, the function that you need from your voice. Um, That being said, there are a variety of categories of sort of how to take care of your voice. The first one is thinking just vocal health and hygiene. So one thing that's really easy is staying hydrated. The vocal fold mucosa need to stay hydrated to vibrate in the optimal way. So the best way to do that, to hydrate from the inside, is to drink lots of water. So I would recommend to all professional voice users, and frankly to most people, (laughs) that drinking a lot of water is really good for, for you. So that's hydrating your body and your vocal folds from the inside. But then it's also can be really valuable to hydrate the vocal folds from the outside. So that could include some people love to steam, to breathe sort of personal steam inhalers that can hydrate the vocal folds from the from the outside. You could have a humidifier in your room. I maybe I don't know, Steph, do people have humidifiers in their booths? Mm, that gets tricky because the equipment is super sensitive. So I think no. Okay. But I think sleeping with a humidifier in your bedroom is a reasonable idea. Some people just love breathing in the steam in the shower. That can be a great way to address that superficial hydration from the outside. If your voice is hurting, if your voice feels really tired, it is important to give it a give it a rest. Right. You know, you don't want to overuse your voice. There are certainly things we do with our voices that our voice may find tiring and it doesn't reflect that you're doing anything wrong with the way you're using your voice, just that you're using it a lot over the course of a day, over the course of your work week, as well as the things you're doing outside of your specific voice work, we're using our voices all the time. And I often have to counsel my patients and professional voice users that that I talk to that we have to think of it like a vocal budget. Maybe you have sort of $100 worth of voice use in a day before your voice just gets really tired. And you got to pick and choose where you're going to where you're going to spend that budget. So if you know you have a really important gig that you need to be in the booth for those hours, you might not be able to have that phone call with a best friend later that night. And you kind of just pick and choose where you want to spend that budget because our voices, as I'm sure so many of us have experienced personally, there are limits. Even though the voice is extraordinary and can do so many things, it does get tired. And sometimes it doesn't have to be a tiring session. Sometimes the hardest sessions for me are the ones that are long and the voice is not doing a whole lot, like a like a session like just a straight conversational read where I'm not going up and down and, you know, it's just like sitting in one spot. Exactly. That you know you're not taxing your voice in some extreme way. It's just the voice gets tired. What are some good, you know, daily warm-ups and cool-downs? Like how much time should we spend doing a warm-up and cool-down every day? I know we've talked about that too off of off of the podcast. Um, you know, we've talked about that vocal budget and how a warm up and a cool down can be part of that. So 
finding the balance of like what's too much warming up and what's not enough warming up and what's kind of the sweet spot? Yeah. I mean, so there's definitely no cookie cutter. Um, everyone is an individual and will have different needs. And you'll there were there are gonna be some people, and Steph, you and I definitely can think of like musical theater stars that perform their eight shows a week and then go out afterwards and sing in cabarets at 11 p.m. and then go back and do it again the next day. And it's, it's sort of mind boggling that they can do that. Yeah. While other people, it's like if you're doing an eight show a week gig, well, then outside of the show, you are just, you're turning it off. You know, you need to rest. So that being said, it really, there's no, no prescribed, this is what an appropriate warm up is. And I want to encourage any voice user to listen to your body, you know, get a sense of what it is. You don't want to use up too much of your vocal budget during your warm up. I would say generally, I think like a three to five or maybe five to 10 minute warm up and cool down is a reasonable thing to do. I think um, during that warm up, for those of you who have a singing background, you probably have exercises like lip trills that you do. Um, Humming can also be a good exercise to just engage with uh, setting your voice up in the optimal optimal conditions for voicing. Um, other things that I that I love and I'm often teaching my patients are certain exercises that involve blowing bubbles into a cup of water while voicing. But these are not things that you necessarily would just pick up out of the blue. I think these are things you'd want to learn from someone that can make sure you're doing it in a way that's not adding tension Mm. because you definitely, all of these things, any kind of warm up or cool down should feel easy and effortless and just getting the voice to, to work in the most efficient way possible. Um, but I would say if you like just humming on a nice comfortable pitch could be good doing lip trills on a comfortable pitch, then varying the pitch a little bit going up and down, see what feels good for your voice in particular. But if you can find something that feels like it just wakes your voice up, makes sure that you're, you've got good airflow, got good breath support, can be a really nice warm up and cool down routine. That was kind of vague because again, like I said, I, it's hard to just give a blanket statement like XYZ is good for everyone. But I do think that finding a way to just turn on your voice in an easy, gentle way that feels efficient. It doesn't feel like it's taking a lot of work. I often tell my patients when I'm teaching them certain exercises, especially ones like lip trills and humming, is that it should feel relaxing. It should feel soothing for your voice. And are there any, I mean, I guess it's hard without having us as a specific patient, but is there anything that you would add to that if you know it's going to be a long session or a taxing session? Like sometimes the video game sessions can be three hours long or an animation session and you're not just saying words, you're doing grunts and you're doing screams or you're, you're dying or whatever things they're doing. You know, if you know it's going to be like a longer taxing session, is there something you would add to that list that's sort of, I mean, I know, again, that's kind of hard to say for everybody. Yeah. No, I think the first thing that comes to mind is I I think physical exercise. There have been studies that have been done that cardio is actually a great Hmm. uh, vocal warm up because it gets the whole system working. And especially on a day where you know it's going to be really taxing, I I would definitely say get in a few minutes at the start of the day, if not a full workout, but get your body moving, get your heart rate going and get your breath moving. So I think that is a, a really valuable piece of the puzzle. Another thing that I think is great to do is some kind of stretching routine. 
you know, the, the muscles of our larynx, they sometimes get tight. And it's really valuable just even ro like rolling your neck in circles, putting your head to one side, putting your head to the other, and just making sure you're moving things around, not letting things get stuck. I think it's really valuable to check in with how you're sitting, Steph. I don't know how you feel in your booth. Do you ever check in on your posture? You know, I always stand because I feel like when I'm sitting, uh, it's really hard for me to act sitting, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Totally. I feel like when I'm sitting, I'm like, oh, so relaxed. But when I'm standing, I feel a little more like alert. But no, my posture is probably terrible and my neck is probably all jutted out. Obviously, you can stand for different characters. You're probably going to stand in different positions to really connect to that acting portion. But you definitely want to make sure that you're, the whole mechanism is working in the best way. You know, so sitting up, making sure you're not sort of lying down or crooking your body in an, in an abnormal position, I think is another valuable thing, especially for a long day in the booth. You want to make sure you're comfortable. Yeah. What sort of breath exercises can we do as well? Do you have any? Yeah. I mean, some quick things there is, I mean, you can do lip trills without any voice involved. So that's just sort of a, where you're just letting air out. Something else that you can try is you can breathe in. I would recommend people put their hands on their belly so that they're engaging in their diaphragmatic breathing. And you don't want your breathing to happen with your shoulders, sort of what we call clavicular breathing, that every time you take a deep breath, your shoulders go up. People can put their hands on their belly and take a breath in through their nose and exhale on an SH sound or an F sound. And so that would sort of sound like this. And you would hold it out for as long as you can to see if you can really engage that breath support. And over time, you could see, can, can that get longer? Can you sustain that breath a little bit longer each time? I feel like so much of this was so second nature when I was doing vocal lessons. And now, I don't know, sometimes we just forget that talking is taxing. And I know you said it right from the beginning that talking is, is you know, just as much of a, a strain, can be just as much of a strain. But I don't know, there's like a mental block in my head, even this far into the into being a voice actor, like, oh, I don't I need to warm up. I'm just talking for 20 minutes today. I'm sure I'll be fine. And then later I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm so tired. And I forget all of these little things that you really need to to have as a basis for the instrument. What you just said makes me think about is that we actually don't necessarily need to do very structured things sometimes for a warm up. Sometimes it's enough to just speak in a really nice, easy way and, and allow your speaking to warm you up. So maybe that's talking to a friend, maybe that's talking to family. But if you can do it in a nice, sort of easy, efficient way and check in with your body, making sure that it feels nice and easy, um, that you're using your breath, we're, we're all expert voice users. You know, everybody, for people that use their voices, you're already very good at this. Even if you have a little problem that we're trying to tweak, you're already a voice expert. You know, we all do this every day. So I think sometimes just checking in, it's, it might be just a little thing. If, you, if your body needs a bigger breath, you're going to just take it. You know, it doesn't always take a breathing exercise to tap into that. Sometimes it just takes an awareness of, oh gosh, I think I'm holding my breath right now. I got to use that breath. You know, so just sometimes it takes that little bit of awareness right? to say, oh, okay, can I make this tiny little tweak to make this feel better? So what happens when 
we wake up in the morning or we finish a long session and we're like, ooh, that did not feel good. Something feels off. And, you know, I, I know that that can really range. For for me, I, in 2012, gosh, I don't even remember, a long time ago, I was teaching after-school theater to kids with no microphone, no amplification help at all. You know, there were over 100 of them. And so I had to be loud to be heard. And then I would go into the booth and I would do all this voiceover stuff. And then I would, you know, go back and repeat, repeat. And I was so tired. And it went, it shifted. At first it was like, oh, I am really tired. Like, I just, I just feel tired. And then it was like, not only do I feel tired, but I don't sound right to me or to anyone else. Like, I sounded cracky. I sounded like mm-hmm. there was just air in my voice that wasn't normally there. And then it sounded like grovelly. I don't know how to describe it. Like I needed to clear my throat, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, that throat clearing is a huge thing. And that's another thing just in vocal health backing up a little bit is I would encourage people to really think next. If you notice yourself clearing your throat a lot, but you're not clearing anything up, it's just a feels like there's mucus there or something. Every time you clear your throat, it can be um, it's it's slamming your vocal folds together. So you do want to just check in with yourself. Of, oh, do I really need to clear my throat right now? See if taking a sip of water alleviates that feeling. Um, but back to your question, Stephanie, of sort of how do you know when it's time to seek out a medical or professional voice help? And what what did you do? The first thing I did was freak out. Then I Uh, I called a a very dear friend who also happens to be a voice teacher that I had seen. And I was like, I'm in trouble. I think, can I come in and have a lesson and just let you listen to me and see what you think? And she was like, oh, my gosh, of course. So I went in and we did a lesson and she, bless her heart, she was so kind. She was like, I think there's something going on. Take a deep breath. It does sound like there's something that you need to seek medical attention for. And I did. I went to an ENT and um, I got scoped and it turned out that there was like a little something, a little polyp on one of my vocal cords. So they weren't closing all the way, which was causing not only the extra air, but the extra effort and that grovelly sound. Um, And then they recommended speech therapy. So I did speech therapy for I think it was six to eight weeks, maybe. I would go into the office once a week, and then I would come home and do the exercises on my own. And then it healed, and I didn't need surgery or anything else. Yeah, that's amazing. And it sounds like you really listened to your body and your voice to understand sort of, oh, gosh, now something feels different. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I think I want to point out is that you are you're a trained voice user. You have a background in musical theater. You have a degree in performance. You're, a, you're an amazing voice user, and you still got a vocal injury. And that does not mean that you did anything wrong with the way you're using your voice. Sometimes that just happens. And I think a lot of times people have this sense of like, oh, gosh, did I do something wrong? Did I do this to myself? And right. I think we need to steer clear of the, this idea of like, oh, well, you, you abuse your voice. Because that's really not what's happening. Nobody would tell a marathon runner that who hurt their knee after running 26.2 miles that they they abused their body doing that, you know? Th- there is often a stigma around vocal injuries. And I want to just tell people that if something's going on with your voice, yes, there are things we can do to address it and, and hopefully uh, give you the help that you need. I don't want you to feel that sense like you 
have done something wrong because even the the finest, most trained, perfect voice users can get a vocal injury. You know, we are in a higher risk population of people that use our voices all the time for our work. I'm so glad you said that because it is it is a you know, it can be something that feels embarrassing or feels like you don't want to admit it. And and I'm I'm glad that more people, even in the, you know, the Broadway community, those higher ranked people have come forward and said, oh, yeah, I had a vocal injury and it was really hard to get over. But I did Um, because I think it's important for everybody to hear that, that it's like it just happens. I mean, like you said, you know, the marathon runner is likely going to get some sort of leg injury or strain or something because they use their legs all the time, just like we use our voices all the time. Yeah, totally. And we have to we have to support people through through those parts of this career because we are vocal athletes. You know, we are, and that includes not only performers, but so many people are vocal athletes, teachers. I mean, teaching, I mean, you talked a little bit about your experience directing shows in after school context, but in addition, imagine teachers teaching eight hours a day and they are with 30 kids in the room the whole time. I mean, there are so many professions and and it sometimes you don't even think about it. Uh, uh, healthcare provider, a doctor, particularly these days who's wearing a mask and talking to patients all day long, that these are vocally taxing jobs and you don't necessarily have to be doing anything wrong with your voice to be at a higher risk of, of hurting your voice. So what I would say sort of in the, the vocal health context, I think for all professional voice users who, when your voice is feeling great, I think that's actually an, a perfect time to find yourself a voice healthcare team that's within somewhere near where you live. So if you live near a big city, you're likely to be able to find a a voice specialized ENT who works in an interdisciplinary model with a speech pathologist that specializes in voice. I think when your voice is feeling great is the time to sort of have your ducks in a row to say, okay, if I ever had a voice problem, this would be the team that I would go to. And that's something you can talk to voice teachers about. You can talk to friends about. You can look online and see what voice team is in the city that I'm closest to that might be good to to know that if I ever have a problem, I could visit. And then something else I want to encourage people to do is when your voice is feeling great, that would actually be a terrific time for you to go see one of these voice teams to have an evaluation with them to get a sense of what your voice looks like and sounds like at a baseline. That's so smart. There's a lot of literature that says baseline evaluations are really important. What happens then is we get a picture of what things look like then. And like anything else, everyone's voice looks totally different. You might have something that's a little bit of an abnormality, but your voice is feeling great. Mm. So then we know it's actually not a problem. It's just a variation. Whereas if you had that same abnormality, and your voice was a problem later down the road, they might say, oh, it's because of that abnormality when that abnormality might've been there the whole time. Right. So that would be kind of step one. I think identifying the team that you'd want to go to and then seeing if they do baseline voice evaluations, which most voice clinics will do. And then we have a couple other categories of if something's not quite right, when do you know it's time to go see someone? The first category is, if you do something with your voice, like you went to that concert and you were cheering a lot, or you sang that song, or you had this really, really long, challenging session where you were doing all sorts of voices, 
and something changed immediately, like it it was a sudden change in your voice, that is an occasion where you should seek medical attention immediately. That would be a case where we'd want to put you on vocal rest. Right. So we want to be able to identify that immediately. If you get on vocal rest and allow time to happen and to heal it, then you won't have long-term, you probably won't have long-term problems with that, but we want to be able to identify it right away so that we have a chance to do the appropriate medical and or therapeutic interventions that, that should happen right away. Then the next category of things is if your voice is just like maybe you had a cold and your voice is feeling sort of husky or just a little off, that would be something that generally speaking, if it's lasting for two weeks or longer, you really want to go see someone. The other thing that's important during that period of time, if your voice is feeling just a little like a little off, is you want to not push it with your voice during that time. Complete vocal rest is not appropriate for everybody. They, there have been studies that have shown that if you use your voice a little, it actually sends anti-inflammatory uh, biomarkers to, to your larynx. And if you don't use it at all, then you're actually not getting the benefits of that, those anti-inflammatory properties. Mm. Um, and, th- and that's happening a lot in the physical therapy literature now too, is you'll see now they're saying, oh, we want you to use it because we want to get that movement back in it. So interesting. So I say that just to say that not every voice injury or voice disorder would we tell you to, to sort of zip it. For, for most and many voice disorders, we wouldn't tell you that. But we will want you to take it easy on your voice because if your voice is inflamed, it's more susceptible to you pushing it to the point of hurting it. Yeah. And again, back to feeling like we can't say anything about this, you know, as voice actors, it is a hustle and it is, you know, being available 24-7, being ready, willing, and able to jump into the booth at any moment for any sort of audition or any sort of job. And the business can feel like you can't take a break from it. But I'm here to tell you that I took a break and it was fine. I emailed all of my regular clients. I emailed my agents and I said, I have a vocal injury. I need to. And I was very honest about it because they needed to know that it was possible that I was not going to bounce back in three days like if I had a cold. And I just, you know, I was very honest and I said, this is what's going on. And, you know, I need to take a a couple of weeks off and then reevaluate. And I'm seeing I, you know, have been to the ENT. And every single person wrote back and said, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry to hear this. Take all the time you need. You know, let us know when you're feeling back, you know, back to your old self. It was so much of a relief and a big weight off because part of the stress of having a vocal injury is, oh, my God, what are people going to say? And what's my agent going to say? And what are my clients going to say? And, you know, it's possible that somebody may say, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I'm going to have to use somebody else for this job. And that, you know, certainly has happened. But for the most part, everybody was so understanding. And, you know, I know people who, you know, quote unquote, book out with their agent every, you know, every couple of weeks. Hi, I'm taking I'm taking a few days off for vocal health. And the agents go, great, because they also want you to be in good vocal health. Your clients want you to be in good vocal health so that when things come in, you're ready for it. And I, I just finished a job yesterday for a client that I have had through all of this. So they're still a client. And I, they were on the list of people I had to call and say, I'm so sorry, I can't voice anything for you for a little while. And here they are. Yeah. I mean, that's an amazing story. And I love to hear you having been so just open with your clients about it. Because the, and the fact of the matter is with your story, you had a vocal injury, then you got better 
And now how many years later, you're just back to doing this all the time, you know, that like, it's, this is not, these are not necessarily career ending things. And for many of my patients, I've found that they find when they're done with voice therapy, they feel that they have the tools to use their voice in a better way than they did before. Yeah. Winston was my vo- my voice therapist. And for a long time, I would still do Winston's warmups because I recorded them on my phone. I probably still have it as a voice memo. And I just loved it because it, it, it was all of those things that you kind of told us at the beginning, but personalized and tailored to me specifically. And I use them all the time. That's amazing. Yeah. And I've heard, I mean, I've heard stories, I've heard interviews with different um, Broadway performers as well, who've had vocal injuries that, that talk about then, and some of them have needed surgery and then they recover, you know, and they go back to doing what they did before. Yeah. Which is so important to hear. Absolutely. So, you know, if we feel like, okay, something is amiss, we need to go in and the ENT says, you know, we need to take a look. We want to, we want to do the scope. Tell us about the scope because that's another like mystery thing where everybody's like, oh, you might get scoped. There are a couple types of scopes and we would, you would use the different scope depending on what the provider thinks might be going on. There's a scope that goes in your nose. It's a flexible scope. Generally, your nose would get sprayed with some lidocaine and afrin, the lidocaine to to numb it a little bit and the afrin to open up your nasal cavity, cavity a little. And it's a flexible scope that goes a few inches in your nose and then it turns, it goes down sort of at that door between your mouth, your oral cavity and your nasal cavity. And um, it just looks down and it peaks down. And then we would have you do a bunch of vocal tasks um, and we're getting a bird's eye view of the whole, the, the vocal mechanism from, from above. The speech pathologist or the doctor who's performing the exam will ask you to do a variety of tasks. They may say, I want, I'm going to have you say, uh, sniff three times. They may say, um, I want you to count to five, say your name. I want you to go from low in your voice to high. Um, Then eventually they'll say, I want you to take a breath and say, on a comfortable pitch, you'll hold it out. And that's when we're watching the vocal folds vibrate. It's called video stroboscopy. There is actually a strobe light because the vocal folds move so quickly when you're voicing that we can't actually watch them vibrate in real time. So instead, just like, you know, a strobe light makes you sort of see movement in that sort of um, flip book kind of way, that's what we're looking for when we're looking at your voice with video stroboscopy, mm-hmm. is you're holding a microphone against your neck that's capturing what the frequency of your voice is, and then it's taking a little flash of light picture at the very next moment in the cycle of the frequency of your voice. And then all of those tiny little pictures that are off by just a hair get formed together to show us what that vibratory pattern looks like. That's crazy. And then we can really see what's going on in the vibrations of your vocal folds. And most of the time, the patient is watching it, too. And I have to say, as you know, it can be uncomfortable, but it was also fascinating because I was like, oh, that's my voice. <laughs> totally. Yes, it's it's pretty it's pretty amazing. And we do that video stroboscopy either through a camera through your nose or there's a camera that can go in your mouth. And the one, the reason we love the camera that goes in the mouth is because it gets an even closer view. I'm not exactly sure. It's a higher definition camera. It's definitely closer. Um, that one, the the provider will be holding on your, they'll be pulling on your tongue a little bit. They'll say, I want you to take a breath in and then say, 
and then they put the camera in. It's not going down your throat, but it's just peeking over the back of your tongue and looking down at the vocal folds. And usually, as long as you're just saying E or taking a breath through your mouth, people don't mind it so much. Every Obviously, everybody's different. Um, and we do have those options of the one in your nose versus the one in your mouth. Generally, the one in the mouth just gives us a better picture where we can see the fine, fine details like slightly better. But there are definitely different indications for why we would want to use one or the other. Yeah. And the in the mouth one, they numb you too. You have to, they, there's like a spray for the back of your throat. Yeah. For some, some people, I think for people who are particularly sensitive. That's me. Okay. <laughs> and then there are, I had a lot of spray. Yes. So they can definitely spray a little, um, a little numbing in the back to sort of reduce that, that urge to gag. And then there are also a couple different maneuvers that different providers can do by sort of bringing the scope in from the side of your mouth like on their back molars. So that's one way that we can approach it that might be easier for the for a patient who's got a very strong gag reflex to tolerate. And then in some cases too, if if a person really can't tolerate the, the rigid scope in their mouth, then we could certainly uh, use the flexible scope in the nose. But neither of them hurt. And the one in the mouth, you don't feel at all. The one in the nose is just uncomfortable because something's up your nose. But the one that's in the mouth, you're just opening your mouth. There's nothing that, like, you know, touches anything. Exactly. Yes. It is resting on your tongue. The only thing is you'd feel the person sort of holding onto your tongue from the front and then pushing down a little bit on the camera that's leaning down. But it's not, it's a, it's not an invasive procedure. You know, it's, it's really just looking. It's like two minutes. It's not even like a long thing. Yeah. And for actually, and it could be even less for the the rigid scope. We can see what we want to see sometimes in like 30 seconds. I mean, it can vary. And depending on what you're coming to see us for, uh, for someone like you, a professional voice user, we want to see your voice really doing what, um, what you need it to do, exploring different parts of your range. How's your voice doing in their highest part of your range? You know, that might not be something we have to do for every patient. And then if the, you know, the ENT sees, okay, there's something going on here, um, you know, they're going to prescribe voice therapy, then we would come see you. And then what do those sessions look like? In many of the voice clinics, you'll end up, you'll actually see the ENT um, and a, a voice specialized ENT is someone called a laryngologist. But there are also people that don't have that, that extra training who do still have uh, expertise in voice. But in a lot of the voice clinics, you'll actually see the voice therapist the same day as the ENT, and sometimes even together while they're evaluating you. But if the team decides that you're a good candidate for voice therapy, then usually on that day, we'll record your voice so we can do acoustic analysis on it. We'll also potentially do um, aerodynamic analysis, so sort of have you use your voice into these different machines that'll tell us um, different things about how your air is flowing and things like that. And then we'll set you up for voice therapy, which nowadays much of it is happening remotely because of COVID, obviously. Um, but voice therapy is typically a four, it's four to eight sessions. For some people, it can be shorter. For some people, it can be longer. Usually you'll come in, we'll get a sense of how you're using your voice. We're kind of, in, in many ways, voice detectives. We want to understand where's the problem? When do you get the thing that's bothering you? What part of your voice is not working well for you? What has changed? And then we will sort of figure out how to work around those things and help you 
get your voice to work the best way that it needs to for everything you need it to do. We're going to teach you exercises to do with your voice. We're going to teach you an awareness of how the voice functions so that you can make sure you're using it in the most efficient way possible. And then we're going to try to help you figure out how to make it apply to your everyday life. Because if I can teach you techniques that you're able to do for the 45-minute session that you're with me, but you can't figure out how to apply it in the booth, then it's I'm not really doing my job. Like I need to figure out in what ways do you need your voice to function differently? And can I make sure that I'm tailoring what I'm doing so that it can be applied in that context? Because that's where the real change happens. And, you know, so much of it, just like everything else, is like it's on us, too. You know, if we come to see you, there's only so much you can do. You can provide us the tools and the techniques, but then we need to take this back to our own homes and do it on our own. I'm so glad you said that because that is a huge part. And buy-in is so important um, in the, the therapeutic relationship is I'm seeing a person for maybe four to eight sessions once a week maybe at some point once every other week as we're sort of winding down, that the change is not happening during that one hour a week or 45 minutes a week. The change happens by the, the person committing to, to making those changes and really exploring them in their own life. And it can be so hard because some of it is so ingrained, like this is how I talk and I don't want to learn how to talk a different way. And, you know, a, a few weeks ago or gosh, who even knows? What is time? A few months ago, you know, I was feeling really, really tired and, and off. And I, you know, called you in a panic and, you know, you gave me a bunch of stuff to do. And I have to say, like, it helped. It totally helped. But then I was like, oh, I feel great. OK, I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. But that's not, you know, that's where that's where the, the success can happen is is keeping that up so that we have that that basis and our bodies know what we need to do. Right. And I feel like so much of what you can get out of voice therapy or a period of time that you're struggling with your voice is just getting tools to troubleshoot. Right. You know, how do I get through this period that may be harder because of allergies or because of stress or because of we're, we're all going to have periods where our voice is more tired, you know, maybe because you have more sessions to do, you know, or it's a really busy audition season. How do you get how do you make sure you have the tools to get through that safely? Yeah. And part of it, too, is is the um, taking the time. It feels like voice actors have a lot of things to do, like we're running a small business and we're, you know, the engineer and we're, you know, a direct marketer and 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 all these different things. And so sometimes it feels overwhelming to even take those, mm -hmm. let's call it 20 minutes total, 10 at the beginning and 10 at the end of your workday and say, these 10 minutes are how I start my voiceover day, no matter what, non-negotiable. I start my day with 10 minutes of warm up and I end it with 10 minutes of cool down. And I have to make time for that. You know, sometimes it can feel overwhelming, like, oh, my gosh, I, I, I woke up and there's 25 auditions and I have to get in the booth right away. And then like you plug everything in and you start to talk. And then by the end of the day, you're t completely shot because you didn't take the time to do all of those extra things. And I'm not speaking from someone who follows this, but I'm just giving us all advice, including myself, that, you know, to prioritize that vocal health and vocal care, because if we don't have that, then there will be no sessions. Right. And maybe and maybe for certain people, maybe it's not 10 minutes at the end, 10 minutes at the start and 10 minutes at the end. Maybe it's three minutes before and then two minutes during lunch. And then, you know what I mean? That maybe people find the version that the version that works the best in their schedule for them. Right. But yeah, it's important to figure out what needs to be done in that huge list of things that you're already doing. 
And I'm in awe of all the work that artists are, are doing as part of their running their business. So before we wrap up, is there any kind of last bits of advice or anything that we didn't cover that you want to tell everybody? Sure. Um, well, one one other thing that I, I don't think I brought up before. So we talked about the reasons you would go see um, a voice team. So the first being just to establish baseline, what your voice looks like when it's feeling great. The next would be if something suddenly changes with your voice. The next one is if something's been off a little bit for like two weeks. And then the last one is if you're just having a chronic problem that feels like every year around the same time or you'd lose your voice, that would be another reason to go see a, a voice team. Just if you've got some chronic problem that every few months or you're, you're facing the same feeling like an uphill battle, that would be a good time to, to see a voice team as well. I would also say that um, using your voice, obviously for professional voice users, there are going to be days, like I said, that are just tiring and it's not because you're doing anything wrong. Using your voice shouldn't hurt and shouldn't be uncomfortable. So if you're ever finding that you just feel like you're straining so much and it's so exhausting and tiring and uncomfortable, well, then there's something that that probably can be adjusted and can be looked at to hopefully make it a little bit easier for you to use your voice and do what you need to do. Totally. Oh, my gosh. This was very helpful. I feel like we covered a lot of, of things that, you know, again, like nobody wants to talk about or nobody wants to, nobody's going to post in the Facebook group. Today I went to my ENT and I got scoped and they found a node and then I went to my voice therapy. Like, right. again, you know, that that feeling of like, oh, I, I can't disclose this information. So I'm so glad we got to kind of have an open conversation and, um, you know, bring some light to these issues and to some remedies. Yeah, totally. And and on that topic, something that I'd be interested in knowing um, from your listeners would be, do people have any sort of home remedies that they swear by? You know, some things that they're like, I know I need to have an apple in the booth with me, or I mm. I would be interested. There, I feel like there are so many things out there. I, I know when I was performing, there were people who swore by, would swear by throat coat tea or all these different things. And I, one of my research interests is to explore, to see if we can find any scientific, scientific evidence to support why would having an apple in the booth be helpful for you to reset. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you have anything, any sort of home remedies or things that you swear by, things that you know you have to have before a long session or even during a session, let me know. Send us an email. Steph, do you have any things that are like your go-to you know, I always do the throat coat tea for sure with a little dab of honey sometimes. And um, massage often helps me because sometimes I feel like my larynx is just jammed up. And if I just take a minute to kind of like open my jaw, like stick my tongue out and then kind of massage down my neck, that seems to help. Laryngeal massage is definitely something that you can learn as a part of voice therapy as well. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was awesome. And I hope everybody got some some good tips and tricks. Yeah. And keep doing what you're doing. You guys are, you, Stephanie, and all of your listeners are just incredible vocal superstars and vocal athletes. And I just love what you do with your voices. Hearing what Andrew had to say about all aspects of vocal health was really informative. I love the way he described thinking about your vocal budget for the day. That's something that's helped me a lot when I know I have a tough session or several sessions back to back in a day or even several days of sessions in a row. 
and the suggestion of seeking out a vocal health team when you're healthy to establish care and get a baseline is so smart. That way, if something does come up, you're not scrambling in a panic and you have experts you trust to turn to. And if you listened to my episode from season one with Ebony Fondren, you heard me talk about the stigma around vocal injuries, and I loved Andrew's reframe that it's like a marathon runner getting injured. It's expected, and it's not something to be embarrassed about. If you found this episode helpful, please share it. You can tag me on Instagram at StephaniePamRobertsVO. Thank you so much for listening, and here's a little preview of next week's episode. I always tell people, put your authentic, natural you as your first take on your demo. I don't care what anybody tells you who's doing it, you know, for you, they want to put the shebang one up first, you know, don't put shebang up first, put you being you. That's next week on Making It to the Mic.